All right, so we're, in a, we're doing a study of the book of Matthew. Today we're in Matthew 4. Uh, last few weeks we looked at the, uh, the, the, the announcement of Christ, we looked at the baptism of Christ, and now we are picking up Matthew 4 uh, in verse 1 when Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Um, directly after his baptism, he came out of the water, the pronouncement was made, this is my son whom will please, the spirit ascended on him in the form of a dove, and then scripture says that the, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness for a season of temptation. So let me read the scripture, we'll pray, and uh, we will we'll look into it. And so uh, verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is an overstatement. Would you imagine? An understatement, I'm sorry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Father, I just, first of all, I'm thankful that, that we get to gather in your name in freedom without worry of anyone coming in and, and persecuting this gathering. I think we take that, that freedom for granted sometimes. Thank you, God, that we have the right to be called children of God, not because of anything we do, but because of what you've done. And we, we, we sit here today and, and we confess to you, we admit um, our huge imperfections and our unworthiness, except for through Christ. And so thank you for the cross. Thank you for the story that we're studying now. Um, this narrative of you redeeming your creation, of you restoring us back to you. I pray, God, that you would help us to, as we see these stories, God, help us to fall more in love with you because of your goodness and your grace and your mercy, because of your pursuit of us. Um, Help us to see an honest look of where we are in our lives, God, so that we can move towards you instead of pretending to be somewhere where we're not for one reason or another. And just pray that you would be honored in this time. Thank you, Jesus, that you came not for the righteous, but for sinners. Because that's who we are without you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this scripture gives us a lot of opportunities for discussion today. Um, For those of you who are new, we always, we typically have discussion. I'll ask questions and we'll actually talk about a scripture, which can get really scary, okay? Um, Here's what I'm going to ask you today. Because we've got, we're going somewhere on purpose. Let's try and stay as focused on what the question is at that moment. You're going to think, oh, this is, yeah, but this adds to this and this. Might be going there. So let's try and stay focused on the specific question at the time. And, and uh, so that we can, 
we can, we can go where we're going with this. But I think this scripture gives us such an amazing insight, one, to who Christ was and what God is doing for us through Christ. But it also gives us an amazing under, insight to the idea of temptation and how it actually works and how it has worked, how it comes into our lives. And I think it really draws light to how unaware we are to what's going on a lot of, most of the days in our lives. That that we can become pretty oblivious to the spiritual things that are happening as we're just plugging along. Does that make sense? And so there's a lot of application to this scripture as well. And uh, it makes me really uncomfortable to talk about temptation and sin and all that stuff. Because anytime you're the one teaching it, unless, unless the crowd or the people listening are incredibly gracious, it's hard not to come across as if you've got this thing mastered. So I want to say, I do not. Okay, but I want to share with you what the scripture says that I think we all continue to work through. And again, I truly believe it's about this journey. But anytime we look at scripture that talks about judgment or sin or all these things, I want you to remember that all of this teaching is a piece of this bigger story in which God is restoring us. His goal is not to tear you down for the sake of tearing us down. His goal is not to embarrass us or to make us feel shameful. In fact, Scripture is so clear that those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Okay? But it's to understand it. But our nature is, is we, because we all mess up all the time, our nature is to get a little defensive and want to stiff arm the, the truth. And so we don't deal with it. And we pretend like it's not there or it's someone else's issue, not ours or whatever. That just doesn't do anyone any good, right? doesn't do you or me any good. And so... Please look at this scripture as we think about temptation, or any time we teach about it, through the lens that it's one piece of this huge redemptive story from, from Genesis to Revelation of God restoring us. And we're in the middle of it. We're on this side of grace. We're in the season of grace after Christ came, okay? But it ain't over yet. There's a bigger story. And we're living it, okay? So please remember that that's the purpose of this. Sometimes it's hard to... We lose the bigger kingdom or the bigger perspective story going on when we drill into it. But let's drill into it. Remember, it's a piece of a bigger story. Okay? Um, so I'm going to look at it in three ways. Under, understand this process in three ways. Kind of perspectives or observations. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't you love it when I cough into the microphone? Um, first is kind of a general. Like what's going on here in general? Then I want to talk about this kind of some specific observations about Christ himself and his temptations. And then let's take a moment then to kind of apply it to ourselves and, and to really look into some, uh, some personal stuff, okay? I think it would be, we need, we need to go there with that, okay? So, so weird. Jen, Jen, Jen and my and our family's lives have been kind of weird over the last few months. Um, some of you know we've had a TV show come out it's kind of a semi-reality show as we've remodeled a house. This thing's been going on. And we have literally taken hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of film and crunched it into like three and a half hours, eight episodes, right? 23 minutes each. And y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, okay. Um, and uh, if I remember what they told me, there's like, for those of you, how many of you guys are technical? Don't raise your hand. Do you know what a terabyte is? Anybody know what a terabyte is? How many gigs go into a terabyte? A thousand, right? Or is it a hundred thousand? It's it's a thousand gigs in terabytes. So they took 10 terabytes of film. 
to put it into eight 23-minute episodes, right? And so I'm watching these things, and we were really nervous, you know, what are they going to put on there? They can't put anything on TV that we didn't do, but everything we did do, they can, right? <laughs> and so you're really careful. You're, you're cautious. We learned, I learned to do something. Like when I was irritated with the director or the producer, I would stand right by the camera guy and talk to him so he couldn't put that on film. <clears throat> we would always try to remember, our, remember to turn off our microphones unless we're complaining about paint, and then they could watch it through the trees. As was, anyways, um, but it's really interesting because they know, our, our, we would never do a TV show that was like um, Top Preachers of Austin, you know, or something like that. Like, just like, that's, boy, that's setting yourself up for failure. Um, but our, one of the things that we thought was like, okay, this might be an okay show, was it's like, I'm thinking, if I want people to actually watch a show and someone's going to get a cool house, we probably need to like that family. They probably want to make us look even a little better than we actually are. And so I think they did. They did a great job of that. And I'm like, wow, I love this family. I wish I knew them. <laughs> um, but one of the places that I think it, it stood out so much to me is on how good of a husband I am on TV. <laughs> We're starting to get... We're starting to get right. You know, it's like I've had emails and Facebooks. Oh, it's just Jen's so lucky to have such a patient and loving husband. I'm like, she is. I don't know if she knows. I had someone's like, oh, you could tell. You know, you're in that moment. You're like, okay, let me process this. And then you do the right loving thing. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I would be such a better husband if cameras were there all the time. There is no doubt. It's just, it's so much easier when you know everyone's watching, to make that decision and to be gracious and whatever. And, and I wish I could say I'm like that all the time. I'm not, you know? And it gives this false whatever. Um, it sets expectations. Anyways, the reason I'm talking about this is because I've noticed that while we were filming, and you know everyone's going to see this, or you think in advance the consequence of all that's going on and the ramifications it could have on how you act, it's amazing how your brain starts going in that moment, going, okay, what's, what's the best thing I should do here? And you go through this process of, okay, I'm choosing to be nice now. Okay, I'm choosing to be patient now. I'm choosing these good passions. But there's a process that happens. You don't just do it. You think about all that's going on, and then you come to this conclusion of making the right decision. And it's, very, it's, it's really a very similar to situation to how we are tipped and how we live out and choose the right paths during our, during our day. And I was thinking about how close that is, and yet how sad that really is, um, when you think about filming and being exposed and being around those kinds of things, but it's actually, I think, can be helpful. Because I do, I think about that. If the cameras were on right now, how would I act? I don't think about that enough. But when I do that, things begin to change, all right? And so I think there's some things. I think theologically, I think uh, psychologically, I, I think uh, in learning from Christ and learning from other scriptures, or we can put some scriptures together with what Christ went through, and we can begin to arm ourselves a little bit better and understand what's going on in those moments where it's like, here I am. If I go this direction, I'm falling off the cliff. If I go this direction, I'm, you know? So how to make right decisions. Understand what's going on in our minds in those moments. I think this scripture gives us an opportunity to do that. So let's talk about... This process of sin. Let's talk about from the three observations. First of all, the generally. Because Jesus 
came in the flesh. He walked on the earth, said, everybody, keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. Peter, I know you know I'm the son of God. Don't tell anybody yet. They're not ready. John comes forward. This guy's coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Here he is. It's Jesus. He comes in. He gets baptized. The heavens open up. God declares, this is my son. His public ministry is about to begin. In fact, in the very next scripture after what we read here, he begins to proclaim this new gospel, okay, this new hope. So here he is, but before that happens, he has to go into the wilderness for 40 days and goes through this temptation period. So we think about just a general perspective of this scripture. Why did this have to happen? What is significant about this story in your mind? Why do you think? To prove what? To prove that he was sinless, okay? What else? To do what? To prove it, to prove he faced the same things that we did. Right, to illustrate it, okay? Good, what else? Okay. So why did he do it? It's kind of the culmination, right, of all of these things that we are learning about God and God's justice. Um, okay, we'll, we'll dig into this. What else? What comes to mind? Why else would he? What's like, hey, what if it was for this reason? Somebody give me some of those. He learned obedience through his suffering? Yeah. To see if he could. What else? Wait, Adam? Okay, not sure he chose it. Maybe he had to. How about let's talk about. Never mind. <laughs> we'll go there. Yes, what else? To learn or to experience it? Yeah. I think we're all on some of the right tracks. Anything else? Right. So the, it, presented, you, it presented the opportunity for him, and we know he always combated Satan's request with what? With Scripture. Satan often used Scripture to, but he twisted it. And then, so it gave us the precedence and the opportunity to see how Scripture is used to confront false, you know, and temptation. What else? Anything else? I think there are, there are, I think there are many reasons. One day we'll know all of them. Three things came to my, to my mind this week as I was studying the scripture. I think you guys mentioned most, most of them, if not all of them. So, so maybe take thought of this. First observation was, <clears throat> was simply that Jesus was tested and proven. He was tested and proven. He did. There was something about that moment in which he went through it, he did it, okay? And I think that was to fulfill something, to fulfill all righteousness. You remember when we, were, when we were talking about baptism and he came into the water and John said, I can't baptize you, you need to baptize me. And remember what he said back? He said, the literal translation was, I want you, he said, suffer it for now. He said, put up your way for my way. Suffer it for now as to fulfill uh, all righteousness. So, He was fulfilling something. And then if we'll look into next week a little bit ahead, (coughs) the scripture literally says that um, when he 
when he had heard about John, was in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, he left Nazareth, went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, uh, and it says he did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So he was fulfilling something that needed to happen. What do you think needed to happen? Obviously, temptation, all that. Connect the dots on some of those things. What needed to happen in this moment to be fulfilled? Think about the area of justice, if God is just. Remember, biblical justice is not you get what you deserve. We don't want that, right? We don't want you get what you deserve. Does anybody want that? I don't want that, right? Biblical justice is something is not as it should be, and, and you fix it, right? So God is, what the message of the cross to us is that there's something broken, and God is reconciling us back to him, but the brokenness is this sin, and justice is not, ah, oh, it's all right, forget it. Real justice is that that is dealt with. So there has to be a worthy sacrifice for that. There has to be, the word is propitiation, if you want a weird word for it. The word propitiation is literally Christ taking our place and satisfying the wrath and judgment in our, in our place. It's, it's this atoning sacrifice, okay? And so he has is, he is gone through this to fulfill righteousness so that when he goes to the cross, he's proven, as someone said, sinless. Okay, so it is a pure, the purest sacrifice, Passover lamb, all right? So there's a fulfillment here uh, that is happening. Second thing, second observation, someone said it, is that Jesus overcame, so Jesus was tested and proven, second is Jesus overcame all that was common to man uh, on uncommon levels, I would argue, that it was exacerbated, it was, it was a more intense level of him overcoming than we even overcome. So like he had been alone and fasting for 40 days when he was tempted by the devil himself, not one of his little weak minions who come and mess with me. Do this, you know. Um, This was like the ultimate square off, all right? And he was, he overcame all, and I I use the phrase what was common to man because there's other scriptures related back to us that, Paul uses in his letter to, to the church at Corinth. And there's some other instruction about this, this, these temptations, these things that are common to man. But he overcame all that was common to man un, in uncommon levels. <clears throat> and what he's doing here is similar to this beautiful thing that we see in his baptism. Because remember, John was baptizing for the repentance of sins, which Jesus did not have sin. And yet he said, I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, so, you know, Suffer it now, John. You got to dunk me in this water. And here's one of the reasons. You remember one of the reasons? He is identifying himself with our humanity in that moment. That now we get to be baptized 2,000 years later and some change, or just slightly under, and we get to identify ourselves with him. Oh, what a beautiful word picture. What a beautiful example of the body of Christ. What this identifying, this covenant, this thing that is going on here. And so it's another piece of that, that Jesus overcame all that was common to man, but he's again identifying with our, with our humanity, with us. He came to us. He put on skin and moved into our neighborhood, right? That's crazy. God, would he pursues us like that. All right. This is why that's important. 1 Corinthians, a lot of us take the scripture and, and, and abuse it and we teach it wrong, but think of it through this, 
verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation had overtaken you, but such as common to man. That's a reminder. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way to escape, so you'll be able to endure it. Just a perspective, it's teaching perspective that what Jesus went through and what he, uh, um, what he went through that connects us. Number three, another observation in this scripture I think is very important is this, this how temptation works. And, and that's this observation three, that Jesus was not tempted by God, but he was tempted by evil that appealed to his flesh. This is really important. We could, be, we could go on a tangent here like crazy if we want to start arguing free will and predestination and all this stuff and how God works and all this. But in this scripture, we see at least one major example. Jesus was led by what? The Spirit led him. So God brought him there. But God didn't tempt him there. Okay? And so it's important. You know, there, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to claim to understand the full sovereignty of God. I know he's sovereign. I just, I think it's, I don't want a God that I could fully grasp his greatness and his brilliance. You know, I want it to be like above my intellect, above my pay grade, as we would say in the military. Um, and I don't fully understand, and we've talked about that before. But what I will tell you about this experience is that God led him there, all right? He followed the spirit there, and then it was Satan who tempted him. And he always appealed to things of the flesh, so that was the human side of him, his incarnation, the, the physical flesh side. So there was just a meeting between, you know, the flesh, his will, his flesh, and Satan. All right? So we're learning about temptation and what's going on uh, in, this, in this moment. So why would he will allow this? Why would the spirit, what is the benefit of the spirit leading out? I go back to James 1 in our instruction to us when we're in those moments. It says, consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kind, and it's important we know the word temptation really comes from the word that means test. It's a testing. A temptation is a testing of faith or a trust in God, okay? It's not just a temptation whether or not it's a test, all right? Um, he says to consider it joy. We taught on James. When you face trials, it's that word trial means test, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. So there's this thing, a reminder. I want us to be reminded that God's goal is our restoration and our renewal. Okay? So there is this, there is this process that it develops perseverance so that we are moving towards this renewal. All right? The design is not to tear down. The, the design is to build up. But to build up on the thing that lasts, not the thing that lasts a day or a week. Okay? Uh, so it's important that we get our theology right and remember the scripture that over, it comes back over and over that God does not tempt us or, or test us, but he may allow it, all right? Um, all right, so let's get a little more specific about this scripture. I think it's a, 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 some fairly interesting observations, and then we'll kind of bring it home so we can get over before lunch. Okay, um, no one thinks it's funny when you joke about not getting over before lunch. We gotta eat. I'm already hungry. Um, I read this this week. The Bible, in fact, will refer to Jesus as the second Adam. Kind of makes me feel weird when I hear that, but there's a reason for that if you understand the theology of it. The head of a new kind of people born into the family of God. And so we can think for a few moments about parallels and contrasts between the two great temptations. The first, Adam and Eve, the first which plunged the human race into sin, and the second which began the way back, 
with victory over Satan. It's, it's very interesting if when we look at the temptations here, and if you parallel them to the temptations in the garden, they're the same major temptations. Common to man, but they're the same. They're, they're, they're three, we'll teach on these another time, but there, there are three major temptations that are going on here that are common to mankind that all of our struggles are related under one of them. Okay? And here are the three. One is provision. One is provision, both in the garden and, and with Jesus, the provision was for what? Huh? Food. Something they desperately needed or wanted. One wanted it. I got all kinds of food. I have the Garden of Eden, but that apple looks awesome. Why can't I have that apple? Right? And then here's Jesus, and he hadn't eaten in 40 days, and his temptation was that there's a rock. You turn it into bread. Take care of yourself, bud. Uh, the temptation was that provision. And I, I, I don't know, I mean, how far do I have to teach on that when we think about our struggle with God about his provision in our lives? And a lot of us think instantly about money. But what about beyond that? His provision for, for patience or, or grace or his provision for our future. And trusting him with making the right decisions based on the right things. That if we choose his ways, if we commit our ways to him, that we can trust that, his provision. So interesting thing was first was the provision. The second connection was our position with God. Our position. Satan quest, creates a questioning in our identity. Like where do we find our identity? And does God really value you in that way? You ever, wonder, you ever struggle with that? Listen, that's not from God. That identity. Where, do you find your identity in that thing or in God? Do you really think, God, surely he's going to save you, right? Throw yourself. Will God love you that much? I uh, love somebody else, probably not love me that much. No, that's, that's a lie, right? And so our position, and he questions God, does God really say that? Um, our place. Oh, well, they're, they're Jesus Jr. Christian. I'll never be like that. I mean, I'll just be, you know, I'll go to church every now. I can't make a difference in my community or my neighborhood. I shouldn't lead that. I shouldn't. There's no way. I'll just wait on someone else to do that because I can't. No, that's a lie. Your place in the body of Christ, every single one of us has been given this power and this authority in the Holy Spirit to lead. And, and it's called priesthood of the believer. That's, that's what the Spirit does. Okay? Um, the last one is our power, our authority. Um, in the garden... Satan said, hey, God doesn't want you to eat this because you're going to be like him. And he's gonna, you're going to know all things and you're going to be like him. And that was the temptation to have, to have power and authority uh, beyond. And, and the uh, same thing with Jesus when he said, hey, all of this, I'll give it to you. Um, that power, that authority. And Satan uses scripture again to contort that. So our provision, our position, and our power. That's so about us, isn't it? All of those things, whether it's in our workplace, in our homes, um, financially, the stuff we have, how we treat other people. I've noticed in society, society is just, so, so I remember when I was a kid, I went out to these nasty lakes by the Colorado River. We used to always swim and fish and all, all during the summer. And I remember one kid out there one time, he was drowning. So I swam out there to help, try and save him. And I got next to him and the first thing he did was take his hands and put them on top of my head and push me under so that he could, you know, and so he almost drowned me, you know. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been certified lifeguard, but they, they will literally teach you, be careful, because they, people will drown your 
trying to save them because that's what they would just, even if you have to knock them out or something, just whatever you got to do, they will drown you. It just seems like society is like that. It's just constantly we're, we're out there trying to just, in order to elevate ourselves, we feel like we have to push uh, other people down. Our position, our provision, our power, our authority, it's always about us. But these are the things that he overcame. Um, feel like there's something missing from that list that we struggle with a lot. Anybody? There's like, wait, wait, that wasn't on there. Some of our biggest struggles. Anybody? Pride. What else? Right. Right. Yeah. I just think it's interesting, when I read the scripture about that, how Satan always seems to, when you're really trying, okay, this time Jesus, I mean it, you know, like you're going at it, how he just jumps all, and he tries to thwart you in those moments of you trying the hardest. That's spiritual. Stuff's going on there on purpose. Don't think, ah, yeah, I just suck. I can't do this, you know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, but what else? Any other? I just thought there's a ton of things that are huge, you know, choosing self, selfishness, self over neighbor, anger, murder, sexual sin. All this stuff isn't mentioned here. All these physical things. And I'm reminded simply that our struggle, Scripture says, is not against flesh. It's spiritual. So we keep treating the symptoms instead of the root. God, I'm never going to do X again. Well, God's like, great, I never asked you to not do X. I asked you to give, you, give me your hearts. And then let me take care of X. Right, so when we begin to think about how temptation works and that, what we really believe about what God is doing, there's root things. He's coming back to these root, very important things. All our position, posi- our provision, our position, and our power are all God's. So when we begin to take those over, all right, we begin to make it about ourselves, then that's when we struggle with all those other things out there. But we're still in the flesh. We're still a work in progress. But when we go back and we forget that the root of it is in this place, in that, okay, that's when I just think that whatever victory we have is going to be temporary. I think that's why Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Your sacrifice is great. What are, I got a million sacrifices. I don't need them anymore, guys. Take your checklist and go. Give me your heart. Understand the mercy I've extended to you so that you can extend that mercy to others. Let it really be a free flow of, of, of freedom and mercy and grace and a new posture that we can, we can treat each other with. It's interesting. Think about this scripture. Among people, if you are openly, if you are openly um, Christian, if you're openly pious Christian, like, Oh, I'm, I'm so good, look at me, don't you wish you liked me? You should be more like me because I overcame that and this and these things in your life. Let me tell you how to do that. You know, when you hear that person, what do you feel towards them? Or what do you think other people outside the church feels towards them? Resentment. I've, I want to, I don't like it. I just, it just stirs up everything negative. I'm like, but when someone is like, yeah, I, I, I struggle daily just like you, um, when someone is, has that posture about it, how do you feel about them? There's something different there, isn't it? I think there's a, a, a lesson in, um, in a posture of how we then move forward in, in, in understanding that 
God has called us towards two major things in dealing with our temptation, dealing with our sin. And those two things are confession and repentance. And it's just a different heart attitude. It's a different posture towards God in our own sin. That I think that that thing that seems really true and authentic among ourselves and we deal with each other, I think that's something that there is with God. That there's a piece of that that it's like that's where mercy begins uh, with God. Okay, but let's look at this scripture, so personal. Let's look at this, the, look at this study. First of all, it's, it's not flesh, it is spiritual. Okay, now, when we read the scripture about putting on the full armor of God, or our struggles not against flesh and blood and all that, I instantly go back to VBS, Vacation Bible School and Sunday School, and it's like, put on the full armor of God and the breastplate and the helmet and all this. And I think it's kind of childish or whatever, but the truth is that, that this isn't a Vacation Bible School request. This is really the ultimate advice of understanding what's going on here. There's really this girding up and waging war in the spiritual realms that overflows into, into this. So here's a scripture, James 1. We've taught on this before. I want to remind you about this. It says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Instead, verse 14, it tells us how it goes. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So here's what's going on. Plug yourself into that, whatever it may be. Maybe it's neglect. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something you are doing. Maybe it's something you, you forget to do. I don't know, whatever it is. But this is what happens all the time, okay? Um, let's, let's call it four stages. First stage, let's just call the look. It's this consideration of this opportunity. Something happens where you go, huh, and you see something, or you have an opportunity, or you're justified, whatever. There's just like, huh, there's this thing. There's this thing that might or may or may not be temptation or a test, right? Hey, there's this thing. Now, at that point, are we sinning? Hey, look at that. Okay, at that point, there's this moment. It's saying, listen, there's something that we are seeing. There's a consideration. There's an opportunity, and something happens, and it happens every day. You cannot stop that from happening. But then stage two is this enticement where it begins to grow, where it says that when you see that thing, then each person, they're dragged away by what? By that thing because it's so evil? No, by our own selfish desires, it says. So there's something within us. We need to go back and theologically think that through. There's something within us still that is drawing us towards that thing. So instead of dealing just with that thing, that's where we begin to think about what's inside me that's still broken, or what's inside me that has a bad perspective about that thing? I think that thing is going to give me this identity in place of what God's going to do. I think that thing is going to help me feel better. That thing is going to make me be, have a better position, authority, a power at work. That thing, whatever, okay? So then all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's, I like that thing. That looks shiny and neat, right? So you go through this season. We haven't done anything, but you're thinking about it. Sometimes that season goes like that, right? And sometimes we play with that season, you ever do that? We were like, oh, I would never do that. But, you know, if I did, it would probably look like this, and that would be kind of cool for a while and whatever, you know. You mess with that's really dangerous territory. A lot of believers get stuck in that place where we think we're never going to do that. We'll just play with it a little while. And we're, there's scripture that talks very clearly about that. It says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. And it's in reference to those who went through the experience in the desert, went through all this provision of God, in the Exodus, and then they still ended up falling to idolatry and selfishness and sin, all these things. 
um, take heed if you think you stand. So there's this season of enticement where it grows. Here's our spot to fight. Here's our spot to understand the theology of our brokenness prior to Christ and the work that God is doing in us through Christ, this gospel that restores us. Here's our chance to go, okay, this is a lie. This is where we need to be fighting. This is where we need to be praying. This is where we need to be moving forward, okay? Because even at this time, for majority of the time, it still has not become sin yet. But it's getting dang close. And if we get to the point where we recognize it, ooh, this is what's happening, and yet we still wallow in it for a while, then I think it's become sin. So we have to identify it. Take some work with this, okay? Take it serious and go, here's where I am in this moment. Identify it as it's growing. Here's our plans to fight. And then stage three is it gives birth to sin. Once it gives birth to sin, you have a couple choices. Keep going, reproducing it. Scripture talks about like a dog back to his vomit. That's a good word picture, right? But that's what it is, okay? We can just sit there and feel guilty and beat up for the rest of our lives and, oh, I'm so unworthy because I messed up like everybody else in this planet has done. Or Scripture tells us confess and repent. Confess and repent. And then coming back to that, stage four then is the destruction, the consequence of sin. It says it's death. It says it gives birth to sin. So know where you are in something. One, don't feel false condemnation before you should. But two, take it serious before it gets bad. All right? Understand what's going on in this process of temptation because it almost always works like this. All right? Maybe it's become faster because we're so used to it now. Sometimes it's a long consideration, whatever it may be. But understand the dynamics of that temptation and what's happening in those, in those moments. Okay? So here's how we close to this. Just reflecting upon this idea of confession and repentance, the thing that is there that we've, where we've lost. We've lost the battle. We've missed the mark. Okay? Um, we always close with communion. We're going we're gonna to close with communion as well today. In the communion scriptures, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, it challenges us. And it says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We need to examine ourselves whether or not we're bringing, we understand the sacrifice that went into it, first of all. Okay? And then second, the posture of our hearts as we're taking it, as we are uh, receiving it. Um, confession, repentance. To confess means to admit. It doesn't even mean to be, I think it, you have to be sorry in order to be willing to admit, but it doesn't even mean I'm sorry. It means, because a lot of times you're like, God, I'm sorry about that. You know, he's like, I know you're sorry, but confess means to admit it, to say it what it is. Because a lot of times the things in our lives that we struggle with the most, we never admit that it's sin. We just justify it, justify it, justify it, and return to it, return to it. We feel bad about it. We say we're sorry, but we never go, God, this is sin. And the same thing that led to the need of the cross is, is standing between me and you and our relationship. And, and there's, it is, it's not going to separate me from you, but it's affecting my relationship with my ability to follow Christ. All right? To just call it what it is. And that's what this time is about. To just confess that. But then the other is repent, which, which means to then turn. Eventually, you've got to turn around and go the other way you got to get away from that edge of the cliff. And I'm just reminded, 1 John 1, if we claim to be without sin, we just taught on this. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a good word. And that's our hope for today. Let's pray.